Have you ever spent uh, one quarter of a million dollars and not told your parents that you were going to do that? Because I did yesterday. <laughs> I've never, um, I've never done that. I feel like even though I'm an adult at mm-hmm. 33 years old, like I would tell mm-hmm. my parents, mm-hmm. but I also understand why you didn't. So that's fair. Yeah, um, I feel. Very uncertain about the process that I've just gone through of no. not consulting my parents, but at the same time, um, I think you just kind of have to when when you know something's a good investment. Yeah. Um, but like when your parents have never taken more of a risk than probably having you as a child, like that was like their biggest risk yeah. in their lives. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of hard to gauge whether or not they really have their uh their pulse on what's (laughs) what's best to invest in so right yeah I uh I bought a cottage last night yeah you did yeah you did yeah and I'm (laughs) pumped about it and I've I'm pumped about it been I was very unsure uh because also I was getting well my my mom was very concerned about it but then when I put in the offer Admir was also very concerned about it and he was sitting there just kind of like he looked at me and was just like we're never gonna financially recover from this <laughs> it's a money maker baby you yeah. got this <laughs> so uh that's pretty much it and I'm pumped and everyone else has been pumped and then I'm stoked the realtor that we saw uh today that didn't even know I don't know how she knew about the deal but she Mm -hmm. found out about the deal she must know our our realtor she's from the same um agency and she was just like I know what cottage that is I know the listing she's like you guys did so good see she's like you are not gonna regret this at all I don't think you would yeah so made me feel good for sure um and uh yeah Making money moves, baby. Making money moves. We got this. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, welcome back to Paranormal, everyone. Yeah, welcome back. I'm Marie. And I'm Nicolina. And we're your two favorite non-investigative but still true scary story paranormal tellers. <laughs> <laughs> and eloquent ones at that. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> so, yeah, today uh, mm-hmm. we're having a regular episode uh yeah. we've decided uh, in the last episode we mentioned that we were going to do something around aliens so that's what we've done yes we've done our research well i pulled one source but it was the only source i needed that's fine. so we're gonna go with that yeah um, but first we're gonna do horoscopes horoscopes okay so i've got yours ready to go okay so <clears throat> A wonderful day lies ahead, Leo. Mm -hmm. Life is giving you more space and freedom at the moment. You could take advantage of this space to do something with your creativity. It's the perfect time to sign up for some art classes or just begin something on your own, like singing, painting, (laughs) or writing. What would you like to do? Do it! (laughs) I mean, I did what I wanted to do, and that's buy a cottage. That's That's, true. I mean, um, I definitely feel like my creativity could go into the interior of the cottage. Mm -hmm. Uh, So interior design, I enjoy. Uh, Maybe I'll look into like best ways to maximize your profit like with interior design on Airbnbs or rental properties or whatever. I don't know. But 
I, I mean, I also worked all day, so I didn't really, I just <laughs> did my normal right thing. But yeah, I don't know if that really resonates too much to the day. <laughs> um, okay, so I'll read yours. Mm-hmm. You're probably looking for new objectives in your career and personal life, Gemini. Today, you'll get the opportunity to share some dynamic ideas with new people. <laughs> if you can, you should try to set up regular meetings with them. This could be your new group for brainstorming. These new friendships could be very productive in terms of personal fulfillment. I mean, I <laughs> did share some dynamic ideas with people in that I work with mm-hmm. in a group chat, um, but I won't really get into it. Yeah. Um, but... But I mean, like, I guess possibly, sure, I could try and set up regular meetings with them. Just a bit difficult over COVID. Mm-hmm. But that's fine. <laughs> I can do my best. That was a pretty vague reading, I guess. Yeah, say. I thought so, too. Yeah. Um. Okay. Okay. Well, let's uh, get into the stories then. Okay. Okay, so I decided to do the story of the Berkshire UFO. Uh, my sources were a Marie Claire article, an All That's Interesting article, and the TV show Unsolved Mysteries. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> on the evening of September 1st, 1969, haha, <laughs> 69, strange lights descended on the town of Sheffield, located in the southern Berkshires. Many who saw these lights said that they were attached to a UFO. According to witness accounts, the UFO in question was a disc-shaped craft that performed acrobatic maneuvers in the sky above the Berkshires. It's unclear exactly how long the phenomenon lasted, but many witnesses of alleged UFO encounters describe that they lost track of time. The Berkshires is a region of rural highlands in western Massachusetts. It encompasses large swaths of wilderness, making it a popular tourist destination for hikers and nature lovers during the summer. The Berkshires are also made up mostly of small towns, which in the case of curious extraterrestrial beings, makes it an ideal spot to visit. So I'm picturing like up north, like where we live, like or like the Muskokas, how it's all the Muskokas, but it's like Bala and whatever else. Mm -hmm. So Jane Green, a resident and a retired business owner, had her two oldest sons playing outside when they looked up and saw a UFO. They ran into their home to tell their grandmother, who was babysitting them at the time. The grandmother brushed them off and told them not to tell their mom about the incident. And Jane was on her way home from work with a friend when she had her own encounter with a UFO on the same day. She swore that she would never tell her children about it. But years later, Netflix's Unsolved Mysteries contacted her to ask her for an interview, as they did with many people from these small towns. And it wasn't until then that she told her sons about what had happened because she agreed to the interview and the family realized that they had both encountered UFOs on the same day. So Jane was um, driving home with her friend in the car and she had seen a lot of lights and thought that an accident had occurred. As she got closer, she couldn't drive anymore because the lights were getting so bright. So she pulled off to the side and noticed that there was a car in front of her that had also pulled over. And her and her friend had gotten out of the car to see what was going on when a huge object floated in front of them. And she said that there was no noise that was coming from the object. It was completely silent. In a period of seconds, the object rose and flew over a mountain. After seeing this, she drove back to her family's drugstore and told her husband what had happened. 
he urged her to call the radio station, which she did. The radio personality who answered the phone laughed at her and told her that her and her friend must have had too much to drink. But a few hours later, he was inundated with calls from other people from all over these small towns. He ended up calling the police department and got on the air to ask if anyone else had seen this. So and calls were like just coming in all night, basically, about this incident. So then there was Thomas Reed, who was like a really young boy. He was nine years old and his family. They owned the Village Green restaurant and they also had encounters with a UFO this day. Tom Warner was a boy uh, and he was around 10 years old. So two Toms. He was (laughs) coloring at his neighbor's house. Her name was Jane Shaw. And when he was finished coloring, he heard a voice telepathically telling him, you need to go home now. Oh, yeah. So he's terrified and he tells his neighbors, I have to go home. And they're like, why? And he's like, I just have to go home. So he runs out of the front door. And he remembers running as fast as he could. And Jane Shaw corroborates the story. She was an older woman, too. Like, she was the mother. Um, She remembers him running out the door, getting to the lawn, and then running in place for about five minutes. What? Yeah. What the fuck? Like, he was trying to run, but something wasn't letting him run any farther. That's so odd. Yeah. After this, a UFO dropped out of the sky and a beam of light shone down on him. The next thing anyone knew, he had disappeared into thin air. Yeah. And then uh, there's a girl named Melanie. And Melanie and her family ended up going to Dairy Queen and parked near a lake to enjoy their ice cream. And as they were sitting there, a bright light came upon them and her dad looked up to see a giant object. Her dad decided he was going to chase it while all of the girls in the vehicle, because it was like her mom and her sister and her, Um, So all the girls in the vehicle begged him not to. And the next thing Melanie remembers is levitating and then being on a spaceship. Okay. The next thing Tom Warner remembers after he was done running in place and vanished into thin air Mm -hmm. is seeing Melanie on the ship. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So they were in a room with all young people, like all children. Melanie remembers everyone disappearing one by one. And the next thing she knew, she was back at the lake, but she was by herself she had to walk home alone after that. What? <laughs> yeah, like I would be terrified. Yeah. The next thing Tom Warner remembers is waking up lying on the ground outside with a beam of light holding him down. He heard his brother yell at him to run. So Tom tries to get up and run, but he was unable to and yelled back at his brother, like telling him he yeah. couldn't. And that's when the telepathic voice returned saying, I'll be done in a minute. What the fuck was the what were right? they doing? I know, terrifying. In another minute, the light was gone. Jane Shaw says that by the time the light had taken Tom and then placed him back on the lawn, seven minutes had gone by. Oh wow! And so the weird thing is that Melanie didn't actually know Tom. She was older than him, and they ran in different circles. And it seems like she was like a cool older girl that Tom would have recognized, but she wouldn't she, have known yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but later on, when they did formally meet, Melanie says that she felt an instant connection to him, and that it was very strange. She had lived in that town her whole life and had never met him, but she felt like he was her brother when she met him. Wild. Yeah. So Tom Reed, I mentioned him earlier, Mm -hmm. but his story was 
pretty crazy. So he had just been riding in a horse show that day. And when they were finished, his mom took them to their family restaurant, the Village Green, which I had mentioned before. They stayed at the restaurant pretty late. And because it was so late, they ended up taking a shortcut to what's called the Sheffield Bridge. As they went through this covered bridge, Tom's grandmother, who was also in the car, noticed lights rising from the banks of the river that they were crossing. So picture Tom's mom is driving, Tom's grandma's in the passenger seat, and Tom and his brother are in the back seat. So that's all who's in the car. As they exited the bridge, there was a light hovering maybe two stories high. As it rose, it fired beams of light. Tom's brother looked to his right and saw a large orange orb and suddenly everything went silent. They say it felt like they were underwater where the pressure changes, but there's no noise. Right. Uh, and they're, But they're still on the bridge, like they're yeah. not in the water. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, there's a flying disc in front of them. The craft itself was at least 100 yards long. Everyone is staring at this thing, and then all of a sudden, the car just lit up with light. Now again, it's silent, When all of a sudden, all at once, the wildlife around them erupts into the loudest noises they've ever heard. Mm -hmm. All of the bugs and frogs and animals are all making just the most noise. And that's the last thing they remember about being in the car. Tom can account for maybe 15 minutes of memories over a three hour period. After an amber glow emerged on both sides of the road, he recalls being taken to a hangar like area that was bigger than a football field. We encountered something, Reed said. It was definitely not of this world. We had a black and white television at the time, and the imagery that we saw on this thing was unbelievable. There were lights that looked like fluorescent tubing inside of this hangar. The hallway we had seen was circular with a Y configuration, almost to control the flow of traffic. This one room had a bowed-in wall that was rounded. This was not something that you would have seen in 1969 anywhere else. I have no idea where I was, but I know that what I saw was very different than anything I've ever I've even seen today 50 years later. His mom has no recollection of any of the three hours other than being in the car. But the next thing that she remembers is waking up in front of the drugstore three hours later and her and her mother had switched seats. Oh, that's so. Yeah. So I'm sure her mother was not a driver. Exactly. That's exactly what he said. So in the Netflix documentary, Tom is talking about how it looks like they were placed back in the car so that they basically thought maybe they had all fallen asleep and they all woke up at the same time and were like, oh, that's so weird. We must have all fallen asleep. But they got it wrong because they put his grandmother in the driver's seat and the ignition was turned off. And he was like, the weirdest part is my grandmother did not drive. She yeah, didn't know course. how to drive. Of so... Like, they got that wrong, Mm -hmm. basically. So, daily public records of calls that come into the police department are documented. And Chief William Walsh did disclose the notes from this date. They involved, one, a young woman who was thought to be missing was found. And two, a report from a man reporting beer cans on his lawn came in. And that was it. Which is really weird because the radio host had called the police to talk about it. So why was it not recorded in their logs? Oh. Right? Strange. Uh 
Then there's Gary Levely. Uh, he's a local historian who wanted to look into the incident more. He ended up looking through newspaper articles and he looked through the entire month of September 1969 and he couldn't find one report. So he ends up reaching out to the editors of a few of these papers who tell him that they thought that it was a hoax. So they decided not to print anything. Okay. Um, but then there was Eddie Galada. He lived in Sheffield and his father was the chief of police in September of 1969. And he remembers tons of people coming in to report the sightings to his dad. They were reporting a flying object in the sky that was not an airplane. They were round, lit up, silver and huge. And his father thought that it was baloney, as he said. But people out there kept talking about it. So, like, he even says that him and his friends decided to go out and try and find these things, like, days later. And nothing was happening, obviously. But it was later estimated that about 40 people reported seeing these UFOs that day. Some of them who were children at the time still live in the area. And... There was a man named Robert Kroll. He was the director of the Great Barrington Historical Society in 2018. And he said children were coming into school talking about the event. An old student of mine, one is a local shop owner whose father was the police chief in town. These are these were all people who were reliable. These were not self-promoters. Right. The witness accounts were so plentiful and compelling that the local Great Barrington Historical Society recognized the encounter as the first off-world slash UFO case in U.S. history about 45 years later. Those involved have also passed polygraph tests regarding the incidents. And that's literally all that's known about the Berkshire UFOs. Interesting. Yeah. That's pretty wild. They have no idea why they were on the ship. Yeah. Pretty much no memory of it. Just like very like small snippets. And that one guy with the telepathic shit was. They were doing some research on them. They must have been. Yeah. They must have been. But the question is who were they? Yeah. I don't know. Like were they local? Like was it government issued? Was it government? Or was Was it it Russians? (laughs) Was it? Yeah. Aliens. Who knows? I don't know girl. We'll let you guys. Um. You tell us. Can, yeah, tell us. <laughs> you can think about that yeah. uh, for the next 30 seconds while we go to a break. Yeah. All right. Welcome back, guys. Um, it's me, Nicolina, and I'm here with your <laughs> second alien invasion story. Um, I am going to be doing the story of Betty and Barney Hill, and I got my story from history.com, so a very reliable source. Yes. Yes. So I went with one source because it was very reliable. (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) It starts, is it chasing us? That thought coursed through Betty and Barney Hill's minds as they drove down the empty winding country road in New Hampshire's White Mountains. It was a September night in 1961. They hadn't seen a car for miles, and a strange light in the sky seemed to follow them. When they finally got home to Portsmouth at dawn, they were far from relieved. They felt dirty. Their watches stopped working. Barney's shoes were strangely scuffed, and Betty's dress was ripped. There were two hours of the drive that neither one of them could remember. What had happened? 
With the help of a psychiatrist, the quiet couple eventually revealed a startling story. Gray beings with large eyes had walked them into a metallic disc as wide, Betty said, as her house was long. Once inside, the beings examined the couple and erased their memories. Their experience would kick off an Air Force inquiry, part of the secretive initiative Project Blue Book, that investigated UFO sightings across the country. The incident would also become the first ever widely publicized alien abduction account and shape how stories like it were told and understood from then on. Debate continues as to whether the husband and wife were liars, fantasists, crackpots, or simply sleep-deprived people who later recovered seriously scrambled memories. The Hills road trip was spontaneous, a well-earned break Barney decided the couple needed, as explained in The Interrupted Journey, a 1966 book they collaborated on with author John G. Fuller. Barney worked a grueling night shift for the post office, driving 60 miles each way. Betty's job, handling state child fare cases, was no easier. The little free time this biracial couple had was devoted to their church and activities related to the civil rights movement. After 16 months of marriage, Betty and Barney saw this trip through Montreal and Niagara Falls as their delayed honeymoon. They left so impulsively they had no time to go to the bank before it closed for the weekend. They got in their car with less than $70 in their pockets. On the last night of their three-day trip, the tired couple sipped coffee in a Vermont diner to recharge before driving back. Barney figured if they pushed through, they could beat the wind and rains from an approaching hurricane. They left the diner around 10 p.m., estimating they could reach their red-framed house in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. at the latest. As they drove, strange lights in the sky gave another reason to hurry. At first it looked like a falling star, but grew larger and brighter with each mile. Barney, an avid plane watcher and World War II vet, was sure they had nothing to worry about. It's just a satellite, he assured Betty. It probably went off course. Hmm. The light seemed to move with the car as Barney steered down the curving mountain road. The light zigged and zagged, ducking past the moon and behind trees and mountain ridges, only to reappear moments later. Sometimes it seemed to move towards them in a game of cat and mouse. It had to be an illusion, they thought. Maybe the car's movement made it seem like the light too was moving. Curiosity overcame them. The couple pulled over at road stops and picnic turnouts to get a closer look. Through binoculars, Betty saw that the white light was really an object spinning in the air. Mm-mm. Barney, she told her husband, if you think that's a satellite or a star, you're being completely ridiculous. He knew she was right. Barney had an IQ of 140, noted Fuller in his book. Barney was also a pragmatic man who wouldn't give flying saucers a second thought. The night was too quiet for a helicopter, a commercial plane, or even military jet with a hotshot pilot. He didn't want to spook Betty, but he was becoming concerned. What was this light, and why was it toying with them? God. About 70 miles past the diner, the object hovered just above the treetops, approximately 100 feet above them. Barney abruptly stopped the car, keeping the engine running. He shoved a handgun he'd hidden beneath the seat into his pocket and rushed into a dark field, leaving Betty in the car. What he saw was as big as a jet, but as round and flat as a pancake. 
My God, what is this thing? He recalled thinking, this can't be real. Behind rows of windows, gray, uniformed beings seemed to look right at him, Barney recalled. Oh my God. He tried to lift his hand to his pistol, but somehow he couldn't. A voice told him not to put down his binoculars. He had a startling thought. We're about to be captured. Yelling hysterically, he ran back to the car and barreled towards the road as Betty tracked the craft, craning her head outside the car window. Without explanation, loud rhythmic beats sounded from the car's truck. The couple felt instantly drowsy and lost consciousness. They came to around two hours later and 35 miles down the road. Back home in Portsmouth, they tried to make sense of the night. Barney felt compelled to examine his body's lower half. Both seemed aware of a puzzling presence. In the weeks and months after, Betty, an avid reader, checked out books from the library discovering the Civilian UFO Group National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. She also reported this sighting to the Air Force, worried about radiation. In coming years, with Betty suffering from disturbing dreams and Barney developing an ulcer and anxiety, the couple sought mental help. The two met with Benjamin Simon, a psychiatrist and neurologist who specialized in hypnosis, a mainstream technique at the time. Through months of weekly sessions, Simon helped the couple piece together what they think had happened. A vessel had landed on the hill's car, putting them to sleep. Afterward, gray beings walked them up a long ramp and into the spacecraft. Once inside, the hills were separated taking turns in an examination room that had curved walls and a large light hanging from the ceiling. Each was asked to climb up on a metal table. The table was so short, Barney's legs hung over the side. During the examinations, the beings removed Betty and Barney's clothes, plucked strands of their hair, took clippings of their nails, and scraped their skin. Each sample was placed on a clear material, not unlike a glass slide. Needles connected to long wires probed their heads, arms, legs, and spines. One large needle, around four to six inches long, was inserted into Betty's belly. Oh, God. This pregnancy test left her twisting in pain. Throughout a being, Barney and Betty called the leader watched from the side. Mm -hmm. After Betty's examination ended, the beings rushed back into her room, excited. They discovered that Barney's teeth could be removed. (gasps) Betty laughed, explaining that Barney had dentures. Oh, okay. I was like, oh my God, they're pulling his teeth out. Yeah, no. (laughs) A fact of human aging, the beings struggled to understand. Wow, okay. Yeah. Later alone with the leader, Betty asked where the craft had flown, admitting she knew little of the universe. The being joked with her, saying, if you don't know where you are, there wouldn't be any point in telling you where I am. Later, under hypnosis, she drew a star map shown to her on the ship. In 1965, the Hill story was picked up by a Boston newspaper. After that, everything changed. The quiet couple's story became the subject of a best-selling book and movie starring James Earl Jones. The upstanding civil servants had become celebrity abductees. The Hills weren't the first to spot a UFO or even to report an abduction. But their story did capture the nation's imagination and was so widely publicized, it has helped shape how we talk about alien encounters and abductions to this day. Before the Hill's story, alien encounters were friendly, according to Christopher Bader, a professor of sociology at California's Chapman University. Some aliens even lived on Earth and communicated back on weekends. 
But once the Hills story became better known, the abduction accounts shared certain characteristics, such as medical examinations and missing time. Aliens with large heads and big eyes, dubbed greys in UFO circles, became classic sci-fi staples in personal accounts and pop culture. Close encounters of the third kind and shows like The X-Files. The Hill story and those that came after helped pave the way for a new understanding of human experience. Richard J. McNally, a Harvard psychologist, puts it this way. The alien abduction phenomenon, in my opinion, shows how sincere, non-psychotic individuals can develop beliefs about and false memories of incredible experiences that never happened. Experts of all stripes have tried to explain why intelligent, otherwise mentally stable people came forward with these experiences. Many psychologists say sleep paralysis and hallucinations played a role. Leading questions during hypnosis, the main way most abductees unlock their stories, could also have been a factor. Those who report abduction might also see the world a little differently. According to research, one of the strongest predictors of false recall is vivid imagination. Hmm. This group scores high in magical ideation and is more likely to believe in ghosts and tarot readings, according to McNally. So it so looks like me. you are someone who is <laughs> scores high in magical ideation. I do. <laughs> Some believe the Hill story was simply a myth in the making, with the supernatural meetings, vulnerable protagonists, and otherworldly journeys that are often the hallmarks of legend. Many point to the stress of being an interracial couple living in a predominantly white state in a turbulent area. You have a biracial couple at a time where obviously it was not easy to be a biracial couple, says Bader. Look what these those aliens were, a mixture of black and white. I find them very meaningful. Mm, yeah, I, I think that's a reach. Yeah, okay, sir. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Abductee stories depend on firsthand accounts, the most vulnerable form of evidence. First Mem- of all, like, sorry, I'm just like going back to that now and I'm just like, First of all, like her skin isn't actually the color white and his skin isn't actually exactly. the color black. Exactly. Like, like way to really. You're a fucking idiot. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, abductee stories depend on firsthand accounts, the most vulnerable form of evidence. Memories can be distorted by stress or distraction or even manufactured. When a false memory is in place, psychologists say the brain works to fill in the details. Psychologist Michael Shermer points to patronicity. The tendency to see patterns even when none exist, helping us to see faces in clouds or assume that one event caused another. Past experience also shapes human perception. Barney, a World War II vet, thought the head gray looked like Hitler and seemed menacing. Mm. Betty, meanwhile, who had been excited to see the aliens, bantered with the affable gray who performed her medical examination. That alien even agreed to give her a book to bring to Earth with her, she said, though the other crew members would later overrule that decision. Hmm. In this way, alien abduction and encounter stories have helped psychologists understand the human brain, its defects, and the weaknesses inherent in memory and firsthand accounts. According to Christopher French, a psychologist specializing in human experiences related to the paranormal, What we see in here, especially under less than ideal observational conditions, can be heavily influenced by our prior beliefs and expectations. NICAP's scientific advisor cross-examined the couple and found their account credible. The Air Force's Project Blue Book would ultimately dismiss the story, determining the unexplained craft could be explained by natural causes. 
hinting that the couple hadn't seen a spacecraft, but only the planet Jupiter. Oh, oh. Okay. Really close to them, the planet. Super that close seems more unbelievable than the other car. <laughs> yeah, the planet Jupiter was following their vehicle, so yeah. don't worry about it. <laughs> For his part, psychiatrist Simon never felt the Hills had made up their story. He concluded Betty had dreamed the abduction, and Barney had absorbed her story, especially since many of the most vivid details matched descriptions of dreams Betty had jotted down after the event. I believe implicitly in the honesty of these people, he said in his 70s radio program. Of course, another explanation is always possible. The abduction actually occurred. The Hills stuck by their story despite years of skeptics and detractors. Like many abductees, the couple never felt false memory or sleep paralysis explained what they had experienced. Betty became a known voice in UFO research and claimed she was visited multiple times in the decades to follow. Good for her. Yeah good i believe them i mean whenever anyone tells an abduction story i'm like i believe it because like our universe or the galaxy is like so vast yeah we don't know just no fucking way that we're the us look at this place yeah us we're the ones come on Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah get it together (laughs) for real and yeah i mean I don't think that a man either with an IQ of 140 would just absorb his also wife's that. dream and just be like, yeah, that's, I don't re- actually that's recall anything, but yeah. her, her, uh, what she's told me has now become my memory. My, yeah. I don't, I'm not buying that either. They're definitely, I think they're credible. Both of them. They're definitely credible. Sto- Show. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that they were trying to get, um, notoriety from it or anything like that. Like, I don't think they were no. trying to get famous. No, definitely not. So sweet. Yeah. All right. Well, we can move on to our fuck Mary Kill section. We sure can. Um, we've decided that we're going to do famous people who believe in UFOs or believe in aliens. Yeah. Which there's quite a list, actually. Yeah, there are. Um, so let's see here. <sighs> I will go first. I'm going to say Ariana Grande. Okay who is so beautiful Mm -hmm. Gigi Hadid okay and Nick Jonas okay I'm gonna fuck Nick Jonas yeah good call I'm going to marry Ariana Grande yes and I'm going to kill Gigi Hadid this is exactly what I would do they just that all seems right to me it just kind of flowed out real naturally too (laughs) yeah for sure also have you seen Ariana Grande's wedding photos they're just gorgeous stunning unbelievable yeah i love her aesthetic and like our families would totally get along a hundred percent so italian together yeah for sure (laughs) okay i am going to also give you some great ones okay here we go here we go i'm excited halle berry okay zoe de chanel okay tom delong oh man yeah (laughs) that's such a hard one um, I will have sex with Tom DeLonge. Uh-huh. I will marry Halle Berry because it's fucking Halle Berry. Yeah. And uh, sorry, like I love Zoe Deschanel, but like, I could see how she could get annoying. I'll kill her. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, I will not have sex with Tom DeLonge. That's fine. <laughs> I will have sex with Halle Berry. Yeah. I will. I can't kill. I can't kill Zoe Deschanel. 
You're, you're gonna kill Tom DeLonge? I'm gonna kill Tom DeLonge. That's so upsetting to me. You know how much I love I know you do. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know how much I love that. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna... Um, did I say I was gonna marry Halle Berry? Or have sex with Halle Berry? Yes, I, I'm gonna have sex with Halle Berry. Okay. I'm gonna do, going to marry Zo- Joey Tishanel and kill okay. Tom DeLonge. I'm okay. so sorry. That's okay. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, really, my main reason for having sex with Tom DeLonge is like to fulfill the fantasy I've had since I was like a 15 year old child. I know. So I know. <laughs> I never shared that fantasy. That's so fine. That's just me. That my fantasy was involving Travis Barker oh, and I not know. Tom DeLonge. Oh, but I know. Just having someone that close would be great. <laughs> fair enough. Well, guys, um, you know, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We mm-hmm. really appreciate it. And um again like we got a really nice review last week and yeah. just keep them coming just keep yeah them coming, guys. Just please keep them coming we're so fragile and um it's also like one of the best ways to get the podcast out to more people is by writing a quick review like just a few words um is even helpful mm-hmm. so that's amazing and um don't forget to write in your hometown haunts yes to paranormalpod at gmail.com because next week we've got a hometown haunt episode we do but um, we also have a guest we've got a week. guest next week so too just, so just you know keep them send them send, in send them in we will read them eventually and um stay spooky yeah and because you know that showbiz baby <laughs> bye bye This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network.